Hey, DC fans, uh, it's Gary from Baden's Comics. Um, <laughs> I just want to let you know that uh, Burton's Comics is open and ready to serve you in Hamilton, Ontario, uh, down 725 Barton Street East. Um, coming for some deals on the weekend. Thanks. And just like Zack Snyder, we all get second chances. In brightest day and blackest night, we record a podcast for you, all right? I am the Swamp Thing of Bong Water Clowny J, and I am joined by what would happen if somebody shaved Gleek. He is the Mize. Furry or bald, I imagine he's a handsome fella. Whoops, I was talking about myself again. <laughs> How you doing, sir? I can't complain. Never really does any good. I mean, I'm off to a bit of a oomph start there, but we got the connection figured out. I've uh, just got a couple of fresh books in the mail there. I'm reading like uh, the more up-to-date-ish Batman stuff, so I got a couple of those volumes in. I got a WWE Superstar Kane's uh, book, Mayor Kane, in the mail as well, so I'm pretty uh, stoked to read that. And uh, how about yourself? What's new and shaking? Uh, you know, I'm watching the mail every day. I got my Funko Devastator Batman pop coming in. Uh, can't wait for that one to uh, finally get in the mail. I'm going to set him up, you know, of course, take that, uh, the team shop picture with all the different Batman that I got. That's totally awesome, man. I'm pretty sure we discussed it earlier on as well, but the other people have got to know, you know, who is your favorite out of the, uh, the Dark Knight metal arc there out of all those varieties of darker Batman, which one really speaks out to you most? Well, anyone that knows me already knows the answer. That's the motherfucking Dawnbreaker. Uh, of course, I am a huge Green Lantern nerd. Check out my Twitter to check out the Green Lantern shelf. Uh, I love any kind of variant of the logo as well. Uh, I've got t-shirts with, you know, it's the Superman diamond, but it's the Green Lantern logo in it. I've got one in the mail. I've got the Dawnbreaker t-shirt, the Batman Green Lantern logo coming in. That should be in any time for me soon. So anytime you can incorporate a Green Lantern into any character, I'm automatically a little more on board. I hear you there, man. And aside from you being a huge Green Lantern fan, myself not as much as you, I still really find the just overall story, the origin, and the continued progression of the character from the arc just fantastic. It's dark, it's uh, filled with suspense, and just a constant like brain-wracking what's going to happen next. Now, what about yourself? Would you say the Dawnbreaker takes that spot for you? Or uh, are you going to go a little more, you know, a little more Mize and go for Red Death on me? You know, I was actually going to make a reference back to that. Um, even though uh, Dawnbreaker is probably a close runner there, if not a little more than, uh, if not a little more than a Red Death. Primarily because when I read the story and uh, I he just you know all he did was manage to kidnap Barry time to the front of a car and then drive I'm like okay that's just really maximum overdrive um <laughs> it was a great it was a great story mind you it was a great build-up it really focuses on the whole um lack of mental control coming from Bruce Wayne when you know that final strand just gets clipped uh but I have to really like the top of the chart one as overrated as it may sound is the Batman who laughs he speaks to me on a classic uh, arch rival uh, level, you know, between the Batman and the Joker. And that question that I have been asking since I first started getting into Batman, I think like 92 or 93, 
it finally got answered for me and even better it progressed into main continuity um which really just furthered my enjoyment of his involvement in the progression of main story like uh, just telling overall without actually having to include an entire league in it which was really impressive too no, what I would love personally, just as a fan, a reader, uh, a collector is, you know, let's take the stereotypical number of like 52 because DC did their whole new 52 reign. Why not do right. like a run where, you know, one issue a week will be a different Batman from a different dark universe where he's a different Justice League member? Like, fuck, let's see him as let's see the Batman who has the magic of a Zatara. See, this is actually what I was just thinking about, too. I was thinking in my head, you know what would be awesome? If we went through a little bit where we're just like, hey, who would really benefit um, character development-wise if uh, they were to be, like, bat-napped and twisted or killed or anything like that? Do you know what a great character would be? A Batman Batman dead man. You know, I'm not opposed to that. Um, we might we might actually see that first over, like, the Spectre. Uh, Dead Man's gained a lot of popularity over the last, like, decade. And it's surprising, and it's a lot of fun uh, reading his material. And then there's Spectre, you know, classic name. Frequence, again, back to the whole Green Lantern bit with Hal Jordan, on to Chris Allen. Um, and uh, anyone who happened to have taken on the mantle in any, you know, form of reality or... And of course, you know, the Spectre as well uh, made his television debut on the CW-verse when they decided to go the Oliver Queen route and make him the Spectre as well. You know what? The three words that came to mind just watching that was, it's about time. Ollie should have been one of the first to be considered in any universe to have been the Spectre. What I really loved about that was the double universe nod when you had Constantine, that's right, Constantine, reunite with uh, Jim Kerrigan on the island. And when he said, I'm Jim Kerrigan, and John's first response was, not the one I know, referring back to his failed uh, one-season show on television. Well, what do you know? That's just, you know, that's pretty explosive. I'm surprised I didn't think of that myself. That was some good remembering that. Yeah, it was a really really intense moment. Yeah, it was a really intense moment uh, on the show, and I did not even think to mention it. (laughs) Yeah, on the Constantine show, they had a Jim Carrigan. Fantastic. You know, I don't know why he's not in Justice League Dark, you know? He would be a great addition to it. Given for proper writing materials. I'm just getting in the new stuff of uh, Justice League Dark. It's really good right now. But uh, I'm just waiting to see where it goes. You know, I'm three volume. I'm reading it by graphic novel just so, you know, I have something to look forward to all the time and I don't have to wait for individual right. issues. So, uh, and, yeah. Know, we will get into Justice League Dark films when their time comes. Uh, let's not shoot the wad and get into it net yet. You brought up the, we talked about the Spectre. Spectre, of course, was a member of the Justice Society of America. Uh, Let's use that as a segue. Did you watch Stargirl? I hadn't seen it yet, no. Oh! I've just been dead-ass tired as the last while since the books kept coming in. Um, I 
got out for a bit today just to make a quick run somewhere, so that was pretty much just the highlight of the day. All right, well, before next week's episode, uh, I want you to get caught up. Uh, by that time, episode two will come out. Episode two is called Stripe. Of course it is. Uh, there, there are some good Easter eggs, one of which you actually saw me mention on Twitter, the Green Flames. And I know how much that must uh, hit the home there, because that's, uh, that's a pretty powerful reference. Uh, from Golden Age to New 52, uh, he's made a very good impression. I don't want to spoil it right off the bat in case any of you not seen Stargirl and wanted to now you got a reason to go check out that easter egg because if it belongs to who you think it belongs to uh, things are just going to move forward like so goldenly oh yeah and, and did you see and like the trailers going in or the big team photo that was shown on the trailers uh, I wasn't you know I wasn't that kept out of the loop uh, I did see uh, little bits here and there um, primarily shots but that's about it I think I saw like a TV trailer. Yeah, there are some deep cuts just in that photo alone of characters that we will see guaranteed. Uh, They mentioned Wildcat will be on the show, Our Man, Dr. Midnight. Uh, But there's also other characters that I'm not sure if we'll see, at least in season one, you know, Hawkman and Hawkgirl are in that photo. Dr. Fate's in the photo. Uh, I can't confirm this. This is my own speculation. But there's someone in that photo that, to me, looks like Giovanni Zatara. Oh. He's on the far left of the photo. I will text it to you when we're done, and you tell me if I'm wrong. Yeah, definitely. I'll do, I'll do my best for that. If not, I'll pass it along to some of the bigger Zatanna uh, Zatara fans that I know. Yeah, he, you know, well-dressed man, black suit, white shirt, red bow tie. There's no one else I could uh, – white gloves even, I believe. No, of course. Uh, I know what, like, a, a normal yeah. rendition of uh, Zatara looks like. Uh, so and it helps that the wizard the thing. Yeah, it helps that the wizard is apparently going to be one of the villains on the show. Oh, my God. And even better, just for a CW troll twist, it's not Zatara. It's fucking Abracadabra. Oh, don't 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 you don't you tug my balls like that. <laughs> I will let's, let's jump into some of the twigs and berries of the show here. And uh, you know, let's jump into Flashpoint Paradox. Uh, do we want to break it down a little bit or how do you want to do this? Well, it's uh, just as easy as any just to go over, you know, the primary basis of it. Of course, you want to know the movie does focus on in the wordplay of The Flash. There was a current there was an event uh, in his uh, current lifetime that happened that he wished he could change, struggled with the responsibility to do it. And he ends up going to change that event, which happened to have been the death of his mother Uh, and then going into a future where everybody and everything just kind of broke with that timeline and went off and did its own thing. Okay, so we'll stop the we'll stop the synopsis there, just so we can talk about the the film a little bit in its entirety. Uh, I don't know how you watched the film, but I sat here uh, in my normal state, which is you know pretty uh, half inebriated at least, but I had my pen and paper with me, and I took a few pages of notes, just of thoughts that I had as the movie progressed. Man. 
Me too. Excellent. So, of course, the film starts, you know, you got Barry and his mom in the flashback scene with, you know, the car's broken down. They're looking for the gas station to get their shit fixed, right? Barry's shouting out to other cars saying, hey, come on, you need to help us. We need help. Come on, why aren't you pulling over? Yeah. And, uh, my, my first thought during all this, like, uh, I watched this through a very how did this get made lens the entire film for some reason. And my first thought was, Jesus Christ, the, you can really tell this is a world before cell phones. So it absolutely is. Nowadays, you know, Nora Allen's car breaks down. She just goes, meh, and dials, uh, you know, AAA or CAA or whatever it is, and they get a tow problem solved. Yeah, I mean, it would just be so convenient. And for if for any reason you can't get any phone reception, lo and behold, you got phone data. For the yeah. love of God, go on a website. <laughs> so, you know, then we she gives him his little heart-to-heart speech, and then we jump forward in time to Barry walking home from school. Uh, of course, it's a fall day. Uh, you can tell that by the uh, the hinting of the red and yellow scheme of the colors, which I thought was actually a pretty nice touch considering it's a, mostly a flash movie. We got the red and, uh, red and yellow scheme of the colors. Yeah. Kind of one of those uh, Captain America civil war scenarios where it, you, it was more of a, um, this style of movie than this specific character movie. That's right. And uh, you know, so of course that brings us to the faithful day of Nora Allen's death. Uh, my thoughts on that was the, it's a very convenient break in for someone to actually break in on that day for her, considering it was her fucking birthday. They show the bloody birthday cake. Um, it was actually huge. Uh, it's throwing insult to injury. It's throwing in insult on the injury, you know, and it, it's absolutely traumatizing. It's just Eobard. <laughs> Eobard. Just throwing wood on the fire, and he's looking to just really crank things into overdrive and turn Barry into the Flash for some reason. But in this rendition, he seems he either seems to do it in slacks and a polo shirt, or it's somebody else entirely, which was kind of off to me. Well, you know, you do want to throw off. Uh, they didn't make. Uh, direct mention of it in this film at all uh, but for those of you who for some reason don't know this uh, reverse flash zoom Eobard Thawne however you want to refer to him uh, was of course responsible for Nora Nora Allen's death yeah and uh, that just uh, happened to have been what Barry happened to have stopped that fateful day leading into the whole flashpoint storyline which of course brings us a little forward in time for him. Uh, there is a break-in at the Flash Museum, which was apparently never in the Flashpoint like uh, comic to start with. So it was just a nice uh, addition to be able to spread out into the other heroes and make sure that they're involved into whatever the universe changes into. Then you know you wanted to introduce the different characters, uh, at least for the Justice League side, who we'll catch up with in this Flashpoint universe. You know you got guys like uh, uh, Batman, of course, who uh, voiced by Kevin. Oh. Roy. Yeah, of course. And then uh, going forward, it does it does change into a different Batman voice actor, which I found pretty neat since the universe was changing into something else. Not That's bad. right, but uh, before we meet the Justice League, we start to meet the rogues. 
like a the pro like a primary focal point for the flash in any means necessary if you have any feature and it doesn't have captain cold in it you're not watching a proper dc movie now i i thought the rogues introduction came off as a little bit sexual how about yourself <laughs> you're certainly on top of that one uh, of course i'm referring to the line by the top you know you're the bottom and i'm the top which made me just think that he was gonna mount barry allen and make him vibrate like the world's greatest power bottom if i can then if i can just really quickly quote the actual words i have for that specific reference to scene in my book go for it so the museum break and scene occurs uh top delivers an amy schumer level pun Like, this is beef burrito, anus puckered vagina kind of bad joke. But I'm not going to lie, I kind of pop for it. Absolutely. You know what else I pop for with Captain Boomerang? Uh, he had a different voice actor than the one that we're normally used to in the newer uh, DC animated features. But he still came off as a menacing, very 80s wrestler gimmick, gimmicky base. And, you know, overall violent like he normally is, throwing boomerangs as some kind of death trap and kind of guy. I really enjoy him. <laughs> now, I should have looked into that voice actor. Uh, is it the same one who voiced Captain Boomerang on, say, like Justice League Unlimited and the earlier cartoons? Uh, that's a good question. I don't actually remember that one. I, I remember looking him up just to see that it was different. Oh, uh, because, because I know later on when we're introduced to Yo-Yo, she is the same actress that does Harley Quinn. But we will get into that in a little bit. Uh, now, you know, we have the rogues breaking in. Of course, they're being organized by Zoom for this break-in. But I think they're actually kind of justified with breaking into the Flash Museum, considering they just want their own shit back that Flash stole from them and is profiteering on by putting it on display. You know, it's not really a kind of criminal aspect, you know? They just want to get their stuff back, and somebody stole it from them. And they're making money so off of their shit. If I'm a dude who invests, like, friggin' anywhere between, I don't know, 8 to 15 grand on a pistol-sized flamethrower, I'm right, I'm going to want it back if somebody takes it. That's a, lot of, that's a lot of dough to dish out. And you're not always successful breaking into banks, you know? There's that dude who runs really fast, you know? Yeah, and you think about it, some of the different weapons from some of the different rogues, like Mirror Master's gun can send you to a different dimension. That is a little bit of coin on the open market. I'm sure he wants to protect his own intellectual properties. That's the same kind of material that he can use to travel um, using the mirror dimension just from various positions to various positions. So whether, whether his attack hits or it misses, it can be of benefit, like regardless, like, Immediate two birds with one stone. It just depends on how fast Barry can actually be overall, which normally tends to work out, but kind of leaves you in suspense sometimes because he's a dangerous guy. Now, let's talk about some of the uh, the costume designs. Of course, you know, uh, as we're seeing the rogues pop up, they're very old school costume, but I got to say, as soon as I saw Heatwave, I was so fucking glad they've updated that look. Absolutely. The last thing we need is a green and beige trapster. So, of course, then we see that the rogues are, of course, being all organized by Thawne, which, you know, Barry's like, you know, I brought friends of my own, which does introduce us to the Justice League. My first thoughts were, I fucking hate 
the designs of Superman and Aquaman's face. <laughs> That's absolutely true. Like, you really wonder why? Why is their neck bigger than like a mountain? there was something so off-putting about the animation to their looks alone that I wanted to know how it got past the testing stages. It looked like they were trying to do the Justice League Unlimited Dini-verse, but on steroids. Absolutely. The Aquaman compensation is just to pretty much say, yeah, I can control the world's biggest, the world's biggest fish tank, okay? And Superman is Superman, you know? He's bound to be designed and acceptable by any means necessary, really. Like, no matter how they've made him look, you know, his image always pays off. So, you know, the Justice League comes in, they save the day. Uh, It was cool seeing the lineup when you think of the different properties that they had put out in the past. Of, Of course, Batman's the name he is, Superman. Wonder Woman, who had, a you know, her own reputation, TV shows, animated features... Uh, the Hal Jordan Green Lantern, which differentiated the team from people thinking it was a Justice League Unlimited film. And was voiced by Nathan Fillion. Of course. Uh, Captain Adam, who at first glance to the story you think might be a random, just okay, so Captain Adam's there to fill the ranks, but he actually plays a pretty big role in the movie later on. Not just the movie. At the time, the comics as well. Captain Adam's... uh more obscure appearances were doing a lot more for DC's image than, you know, just having him around regularly as a league member. Um, between the time of now and public enemies, the best time was during the whole 52 universes bit, the whole countdown part. I think it was just before like final crisis. And uh, this one character from the multiverse monarch, it turned out to be uh, captain Adam. Now, his Funko is actually pretty dope-looking. Uh, have you had a chance to check out the picture that I posted of it when it came in the mail for me? The Captain Adam? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it, it's pretty sick. Uh, now, the only thing... Every time I look at Captain Adam, my only issue is, I think to myself, how the hell would they pull you off in a live-action environment? Absolutely. Uh, speaking of live-action environment... Uh, Going back into with a Flashpoint story, uh, the Justice League happens to take a member of each rogue into separate locations, far away from any population, uh, any um, obstacles or kind of, you know, buildings and everything like that that can easily blow up, crumble, crush people, that sort of thing. So they take them as far away as possible, apply their own methods to try and disarm the bomb. And uh, everything seems to work from there, and uh, they happen to go find Barry finding his own way against the bomb, beating Zoom, and that being that. Barry then has his moment at his mom's grave with a ginger Iris West. Uh, Calling back to the life lesson that Nora was teaching Barry, um, you know, not trying to change things you can't, leaving things alone, all that jazz. And it clearly didn't take too well with him where he just misinterpreted. Ta-da! Because next thing we know, we are waking up at the desk of Barry Allen. And... Okay. Yeah. You'll be able to answer this better than me. Uh, My first thought was, was that supposed to be Joe West waking him up? Uh, no, it's actually uh, a different character in the comics uh, that has been featured in uh, Barry's Precinct. So you get to know a lot of the different names. I sure as hell didn't. 
They weren't the Flash. They weren't the Rogue. They were they were side story peeps, you know, kind of like uh, Perry and Jimmy, but a little less iconic. Well, he definitely seemed to have uh, influenced casting. If you look at him, the first thing I thought of was he looks exactly like Joe West does on the TV show. And why the hell shouldn't he have been Joe West? I mean, the, the creation of that character was ingenious, and his constant involvement has been nothing short of that same genius. But then, of course, we start getting hints that this might not be the same universe. Uh, we start hearing names like Citizen Cold instead of Captain Cold. You got the elongated kid murdered, and uh, Barry thought he had corrected his co-worker on the matter. And from that point, uh, he went, no, kid, and showed him the file for it and everything. No, you're well versed in all the side stories for this Flashpoint event. Was Elongated Kid just a younger Ralph Dibney? Was he the child of Ralph and Sue? What can you tell me about the uh, EK? Uh, Pretty much the first guess there, you know, it was just a pretty much a younger younger version of Ralph. Damn it, that, that disappoints my wife greatly. She was hoping Ralph and Sue had hooked up. Well, uh, if you want to, if you want to try and look up like uh, the more intriguing details of it, I looked it up on Wikipedia and it gave me reference to each of the different uh, title names. Um, a lot of the titles uh, that you can just go ahead and look up uh, for the factor of them not being mentioned in the film, which was quite a few of them, but you can't expect to fit the entire universe into you know one bowl. <laughs> So uh, from that, Barry goes running out of the precinct, realizes he's got no ring on, no flash ring, trips over his feet, looks up, and boom, there's mom. Barry is shocked to see his mom, and he is also shocked to not think of looking in Barry's pockets first. (laughs) That's true, as we find out later on, if he would have just searched his pocket it would have solved a lot of time in this film for him. Central City Forensics, ladies and gentlemen. But from there, we do a uh, a cut to Gotham, where we see Yo-Yo, who, of course, being uh, being voiced by, uh, I, I know I'm going to, I'm horrible at names, uh, uh, Hinden Welch. Mm-hmm. Uh, who, of course, voices Harley Quinn. She voices Starfire for the Teen Titans, uh, making Yo-Yo this world's alternative to Harley, being chased down by, you know, a bat that's a little more Punisher than Batman, as some would say. I really enjoyed that factor, and uh, to find out more about him is just even better as well, especially uh, uh, trying to come up to date with the more Batman stuff. Uh, he's really cinched the characters like darker, but still more leaning to the side of justice side. And uh, he just goes absolutely crazy firing off handguns, handguns. That's madness. Which of course, as we know, if you are a member of the bat family, guns are a no, no, unless you're Jason Todd. Yeah. That's only because Jason had a bad experience at the swimming pool. That and he promises to use rubber bullets. Yeah, it makes it any better. <laughs> but you know this uh, this new Batman, which of course has a different bat uh, bat voice actor. We're no longer listening to these sultry, sexy tones of Kevin Conroy. 
No, it's a it's a more rugged voice, um, but it's kind of suiting, I guess, considering how close to the age it sounds. But then we see this Batman, you know, we see he's got guns, he's got a red logo, uh, he's a little more deadly looking, and he does go to take that final step over the edge in front of us when he throws Yo-Yo over the roof. He goes to kill her when she is saved by Cyborg, who, if people don't know, is actually voiced by the Michael B. Jordan for this film. That's actually fantastic, but Cyborg is actually a a Maytag washer. That is how absolutely huge he is. He's about the size of one, or at least a fridge. He's the Optimus Prime of black guys. And you would know all about Optimus Prime after our first take tonight, sir. Yeah. So we see Cyborg save the life of Yo-Yo, you know, confront the Bat, and ask him about joining his government-sponsored team, which uh, has members such as Sandman from Justice Society, uh, Shazam, who, uh, Captain Marvel, Captain Thunder... Uh, in this universe, uh, surprisingly, yeah, also the a... society. Oh yeah, there's a uh, quite a few in there. Uh, then we get got uh, people like Citizen Cold, who we've already been introduced to. Uh, Enchantress was one of the people involved with the team. Oh, the the Shazam kids were still a thing. Yeah, that was, uh, we'll talk about the Shazam kids when we get to their house in a, in a few minutes, but it was cool to see this team that Cyborg had put together that almost encompasses the entire DC universe, going from Justice Society to the villain side to now this, trying to recruit this new Batman. Apparently he's got the smartest, uh, most alert mind for tactical strategy and existence, according to these people. So they're looking uh, they're looking at him pretty fiercely to join them, and it's pretty much will do what it takes, and he declines at first. No, you know the, Batman work alone. And then Batman flies off into the Gotham skyline. But right after that, there's actually a shot of the Gotham streets. And did you catch this Easter egg that I'm about to talk about? Uh, I don't there's a Watchmen so. Easter egg in this film. And where is it? Right after Batman flies into the night, uh, there's a shot of the Gotham Street where Barry is running down as he heads towards Wayne Manor. And there's a man standing, a homeless guy standing there, a ginger fellow wearing a sandwich board sign that says the end is nigh. Fantastic. I popped like a motherfucker when I saw that. They actually uh, refer start referring to a lot of Watchmen stuff recently in DC Comics, uh, starting with uh, the Button Investigation, and that was a that was a really nice crossover event. Uh, it's super short, but it was just a nice read. Uh, I'm still waiting to pick that one up myself. I've been waiting to read that one. Oh my god, it's good. 
But from seeing Barry Allen running towards the uh, the famous Wayne Manor, we do uh, smash cut over to jolly old England, where we see uh, Artemis, not the blonde one from Young Justice, but the red one from Themyscira, where she's hunting down one Steve Trevor. Absolutely. Who is somehow miraculously escaping the amount of Amazons that are chasing him. <laughs> You know, sometimes you just want to toy with your food before you kill it, right? Yeah, it is just scary to watch sometimes. Uh, but yeah, they're chasing him down, and uh, he's trying to reach out to Lois Lane, uh, of all people. Um, going through all that, and they finally managed to get their hands on him. <laughs> just a little bit, as Steve Trevor is then given the death sentence by one Queen Diana. That is true. That is true. Uh, on the other end of things, there's a handful of villains going along to meet up with Aquaman's crew. Yeah, let's get into that. The first thing I noticed was the boat that Deathstroke was uh, captaining was called the Ravager, which I thought was pretty cool. Yeah, a nice, uh, a nice call out to his daughter in which a huge actual difference that takes place is that in the comic arc uh, a flashpoint for these uh, band of rogue villains uh, Deathstroke is actually on the hunt for his daughter Rose and on his team uh, you you see villains like the, the classic Icicle and then we find out one of his other crew members turns out to be Clayface during the big battle absolutely there is a very minor difference of any at all actually so for the um, movie crew of them, it's Lex Luthor, uh, Briggs, Clayface, Eel, Sonar, The Fisherman, Icicle, uh, Jenny Blitz, McKeast, uh, Scavenger, and The Tattooed Man. And <laughs> in the sorry, in the in the comic book in the comic book one here, I have uh, there's uh, of course uh, The Fisherman, Sonar, Eel, Scavenger, Clayface. Icicle, Jenny Blitz, King Shark, Zaz, and Tattoo Men. Well, you know, they have to save King Shark for the uh, the greatness that will become of him later on in the series. Absolutely. And uh, if there's anything science has recently proven, is that King Shark is Shark. And over on uh, Aquaman's side, who we see uh, the ones attacking, of course, the Ravager ship, uh, I noticed, you know, I'm sure you'll have picked out more, but I, of course, picked out, you know, the original Aqualad on there, Tula, uh, Calder from Young Justice, which I thought was a nice touch. Uh, or I thought so, too. He looked like him exactly. Oh, yeah, and, and you can't have Calder without his father, Black Manta, there. And, of course, you have uh, King Arthur's right-hand man, Orm, on the team. The Ocean Master, yeah absolutely fantastic for them to actually team up you know um it's nice for a little bit of political frustration uh, among metahuman problems here clearly uh personally i thought that was a pretty dope squad and something that they could have actually written into a comic team in the future we could orm and the ocean masters or however they want to brand it 
Yeah. Uh, I would probably, you know, stick to some kind of, uh, you know, casual term among like their military and then throw that out there, you know, how they normally be like commandos or renegades or something like that. Exactly. Find an Atlantean term for it. Like when they had the uh, the Aquaman and the Deep or whatever team up comic for a little while, that that could have been what takes it over. That'd be pretty cool. Now from there, of course, we are reintroduced to this new world's Aquaman. I still fucking hate his look. They didn't change the face. He still looks stupid as hell. No, just his coat, just his color scheme and his haircut. No. Yeah, uh, and trust me, as someone that went through many color schemes and haircuts in high school, that shit doesn't work to fix your ugly. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> his uh, menace, his uh, overall um, just leadership-based presence was really overwhelming, and it, it was powerful, and it made him look fantastic. Not his look, though. Just <laughs> his image, you know, so to speak. So from there, uh, check my notes here. Uh, someone, for, I just have Human Torch written down. <laughs> human Torch. Yeah, I'll have to go back and jog my memory why I wrote down Human Torch. Uh, maybe someone got blown up or something. Oh, so, um, uh, for- yeah, go for it. So the whole premise of uh, the villains being out there was to just locate Aquaman, and that was pretty much it. Um, The huge fight ensues, of course, and uh, things do not go so well in the end for the side of mankind as opposed to Atlanteans. Uh, They get the better of them from there, but Luthor manages to hit a button which lets off like a beacon or a signal of some kind. Lo and behold, uh, Resistance, others have the location of uh, Aquaman's forces. And that jogs my memory of why I wrote down Human Torch. We cut back over to Barry Allen, who's met up, uh, you know, he's found the Batcave, went down, realized this Batman is actually Bruce's father, Thomas Wayne. And convinced multiple fingers. Oh, multiple fingers in a threat that I once used at a Jamaican resort. Uh <laughs> I, I'm pretty sure I've told you this story. Uh, Sean and I had made a friend down in Jamaica that, uh, you know, her uh, travel mate got sick. So she ended up spending the vacation with us. Uh, one of the cooks at this Jamaican resort was pretty much harassing this young lady. So after drinks one night, Shauna and her went to the bathroom and I took this cook to the side and I let him know that the human hand has 32 bones in each finger that can break quite easily, and I head back to my home country in just three days. That's all I let him know. Oh my. Uh, I've I never, yeah, I've never felt more mobster than in that moment. But after third. breaking Barry Allen's fingers, uh, Barry does convince Thomas to help him with the flash experiment that once gave him powers and instead of becoming the flash yeah instead of why that is go for it because his ring fell out of his pocket that's right (laughs) his during the beat down 
the flash ring falls out of his pocket. Allowing him to push a button revealing the suit of the reverse flash. Which is not, of course, his own suit that should be in that ring. Well, uh, unless it changed due to this universe. Well, the part that probably convinced Thomas from there was pretty much halfway through was the fact that he could prove that a suit could come out of the ring and he knew where the compartment was and where the opening mechanism was to let the suit out. So being able to believe at least that far ahead, I don't know what Barry Allen could actually make up and try and fool any version of Batman with. Well, you would think walking up, knowing where the Batcave was and being like, I knew Bruce Wayne would have been some kind of who the fuck are you? Yeah, you like this page on Facebook, whoopie shit. Yeah. But then he brings him out into Gotham's notoriously bad weather hooks him up to an electric chair with a bunch of chemicals, and instead of becoming the Flash, he becomes the Human Torch. Yeah. Um, Johnny, at least, did not take it sitting down. Um, <laughs> Barry was strapped to an electric chair, like um, packaged right in there, wrapped nicely and everything, and uh, the plan completely backfired on them, and Barry went up and just this huge mist of flames. Now, from this, Barry's memories start to fold into this new universe, and we start to see how things happened. Uh, my first question for this was, why the hell did Superman's pod even explode in the first place? We see um, a mistanses. You know, it, it swerves right behind the truck does a little Yui, goes up and lands in the middle of Metropolis, and for some reason, this time it explodes. That is actually a pretty excellent question there. Um, it could have been it could have been the terrain, there could have been something just, you know, located there at an off time and stupid luck. Did it hit a gas station? I think somebody just let out a sick burn while drinking half a Mountain Dew. <laughs> we also start to see what started the war on Earth between the Themyscarans and the Atlanteans. And, you know, it all comes down to the hot ginger girl. It's all Mara's fault. Absolutely. Um, two ladies wanted this fish dick and things did not go so well when at least one of them got the fish dick. <laughs> You know, if they could just share the box of fish sticks, they'd be all good. Little tartar sauce for everybody. Yeah. I mean, they'd probably be happy with it. It's just just reproducing an act of love to them. They don't really see any other orders or anything by it. Uh, we also see over on the other side of the earth in Gotham during these new memories, now that she has lost both her children, both Thomas Wayne Jr. and Bruce... Uh, Martha Wayne becomes this world's new Joker. Uh, she went absolutely mad with uh, just overall traumatization. Um, she had that. She had her hand over her face while like crying, transitioning over into the laughing thing, and it came off looking like a smile had smeared on her face, which really um, 
put more emphasis on the image and the future image of uh, Martha Wayne at that time. So, no, of this course, Sorry, I think this is, yeah, I think this is where they made their biggest mistake with this entire home release is later on with the film releases, they start including mini features, including characters like Death, which I think are awesome. But in this one, they really missed the mark on not giving us a Martha Wayne Joker mini movie. Giving us like, I would I would say at least three animated shorts that focus on, I guess, like a fan base popularity or just the overall relevance to the main story arc of Flashpoint. Just in general, give me a 22-minute episode style where you actually see this Batman take on this Joker to help establish the world. So yeah, something like, you could easily do like 15, 20 minutes off that. Easily. I think it's the biggest mistake that they made with this film, not doing that. Absolutely. So from there, we also see uh, where our boy Captain Adam is at right now. Turns out he's hooked up to the middle of a sub as a nuclear device, a weapon to be deployed at Aquaman's will. Yes, him. Put into a little bunker there to harness his energy, which is really smart because he's got a lot of it. That that is the greatest use that you could, you know, if you got your hands on a person like that, that is the best thing you could do with them. Oh, it's fantastic, especially if you're the power that controls them. So then we cut over to. Uh, you know, we see the resistance and Lois Lane doing her live recordings where she then runs into uh, Grifter from the Wildcats. Yeah, they had a bit of a transition into DC Comics. Well, at least Grifter did. I'm fairly certain they had taken a couple other characters, but I've yet to see them in any like major use. No, of course, other members of the Resistance. Uh, I, I thought the addition of Etrigan the Demon was a great addition. I love that character. He was in the comic as well, so really playing off the popularity and introducing him into a stronger audience for like a Justice League Dark, which they transitioned into into the newer films uh, as well as series as well. Um, a lot of great came from that, especially for Jason Blood. Now, did you do one of your lists of breaking down the comic team versus the film team here for us? Uh, yeah, uh, both of the teams are actually the same. So, of course, leading them was a grifter. Mrs. Hyde, of course, was there. The Canterbury Cricket, What I've never heard of it uh, until um, Flashpoint had come along. So that I'm probably going to have to look into more about this because he sounds pretty neat. Uh, Etrigan, of course. Um, he has a different voice actor, of course, from the future uh, DC animated feature, and uh, Godiva. Uh, I'm not too uh, well versed in uh, Godiva, but if she's there, she's got to have a reason for it. Uh, so both, again, both teams are uh, the same for the book and the movie. And of course, Lois runs into this team after being saved by what she assumes is their speedster, um, because we see a yellow blur saving Lois from a bunch of shots from Atlantean forces. You know, I have a feeling it wasn't actually Eberthon that saved them. 
I have a feeling that it's the wizard, the uh, Marvel speedster, and he's just absolutely senile and doesn't know where he's going. <laughs> that would make for an interesting crossover. Absolutely, and Lucy would have some explaining to do. But, but yeah, they uh, happen to inform Lois that they don't have a speedster at all. Um, so that kind of leaves a little bit of confusion. From their perspective, like, what? Who can interview? Which brings us over to one of my favorite little scenes in the movie, of course, where you have General Lane talking to uh, pilot Hal Jordan about the alien craft that crashed. Absolutely. And as we are well-versed, Jay loves General Lane. Oh, of course. I'm the biggest. I'm wearing a General Lane t-shirt right now. You got them uh, General Lane tidy whities coming in the mail? It's coming in the mail, sir. I've got the thong coming. Yeah. Oh, fantastic. Now, uh, of the animation here, I think the reflection, when you see Hal Jordan looking into the reflection, looking at Abin, sir, uh, when you almost see what Hal would look like in that suit, I think that is a great animated shot. Absolutely. It uh, provides a different perspective and a more interesting one, too. Um, actually discovering him in a military base and, you know, being talked over with it by the military. And I don't know how they would write it from there in the comics if they want to keep it. Right now, from there, of course, uh, how Jordan makes a great reference while talking about Cyborg to General Lane, where he refers to him as the Big Metal Boy Scout, which, of course, we all know Boy Scout is a Superman nickname. And we will talk about that as soon as we come back. Do you like horror? Sci-fi? Superheroes? Comics and adventure? SunsetCrypt.com has you covered. With reviews and articles. Two associated podcasts. Hot damn! Topics on a ton of bullshit and all geekery grounds with Crypt Keepers Curtis Sturrock, Steve Brown, and Jeff Smith. SunsetCrypt.com. Only the reader knows what awaits them. All right, we are back from our quick commercial break. Thank you to Sunset Crypt. Uh, we were talking about the Hal Jordan line when he says to General Lane, uh, I'm not your big metal Boy Scout. Uh, I personally love that line. Uh, as, of course, we all know, the uh, big blue Boy Scout is the reference to Superman. Absolutely. And it can, and it can still count for the same thing. What with Superman, of course, being the Man of Steel. Of course. Now, uh... They, they show that Abin, sir, is dead. They're keeping him on reserve. They're using his ship as a weapon. But I want to know, who got his ring in this universe? We never see a Guy Gardner, a John Stewart, a Kyle Rayner. Uh, we never see a new Green Lantern of Earth. So where did the ring go? Where all rings go when their uses expire. Back to Oa. Really? Yeah, you That's don't think it's the only explanation we got from it because uh, if I think it w- if it were to play a bigger part, they would have had to introduce a, gre- a new Green Lantern at that point in time just to really cinch down every and all aspect of a Flashpoint universe. 
But again, they just wanted to get the primary focus, uh, you know, to Batman and the Flash as usual, you know, two of more popular names, especially at the time. Uh, the Flash was like huge leaderboard shit for uh, comics at that time. So why not make it? Uh, so from being introduced there, uh, we started seeing the clues that it was the reverse flash that helped Lois with the slowed down photography. Now, I understand him wanting to get his message across to Barry, but of all people, why does the reverse flash save Lois Lane? Um, well, as he stated beforehand, it's not his intention, absolutely, like, ruin the timeline or anything i mean when he time travels um throughout comics and jazz he's more of a chronicler rather than like a villain really the only one he really actually wrongs is the flash now speaking of we do see where uh the new batman is talking to cyborg about this government-sponsored team and i personally love that they gave it the name of sure i'll join your suicide squad Oh, that was a nice touchdown on it. Like, they are one of DC's most, like, definitive points. And again, you know, for top of the chart, like, comics, Suicide Squad was another one. Uh, it was really good. Which now we're really starting to get in deep towards the end of the film as, uh, along with Cyborg's help, I know we're jumping pretty quickly up here, uh, but along with Cyborg's help, they managed to break into a government facility to uh, start saving the Kryptonian alien. Yes, because uh, um, Barry having that weird uh, mental memory shift thing happen, uh, he managed to see the whole uh, spacecraft crashing. Uh, so, of course, Superman having to be in there. Where else are they going to put him? I mean, you have... Uh, Star Labs, and you have Cadmus. Pick one. Now, once they start uh, getting down towards the, you start seeing these different pods where it does look like they've tried to clone him at least a couple of times. Uh, you see the remnants of a dog skeleton in one, as well as uh, a few different bone structures. So you can only imagine that those were supposed to be subject B0 or Bizarro as he'll be later on known, and perhaps even the Superboy. You know, mayhaps, mayhaps. Uh, it all depends on, you know, how far they've actually gotten with him in the comics. And one of the skeletons, um, yeah, that's a, that's a crypto puppy. Poor little crypto, such a good boy. He peed in the shoes. So, of course, Barry's memories do start folding even more. We see shifts in the timeline. Uh, I like that we see going from the original Justice League fighting Starro to just Cyborg taking him on. Yeah, he's just there like, I don't know why you all found this difficult. Just Cyborg by himself taking on one of the biggest villains. Like in DC history at that. So then from there, you know, we start going to the team and we go over to the uh, the Batson Manor where the Shazam kids are. Oh, yeah. Uh, I, I like the name Captain Thunder. I thought it was a, a nice little reference to 
some of the original comics, especially because going back to the JSA, you had, you know, uh, Johnny Thunder. Yeah, that's, a, that's an entirely different character, though. It is, but I thought it was a nice little homage to someone. Uh, well, you look at considering that, you know, you're. Yeah, you're already merging characters by having the entire Shazam family merge into one, including Mary Marvel. Oh, yeah. She was another one that uh, ended up being a lot more important than I thought she would be. And then, you know, you start realizing how important Barry is to the timeline which I thought was a nice little touch from the comics even as an homage to even the Justice League Unlimited cartoons with the episodes of Justice Lords, seeing how far the group would have gone having lost Barry in battle. Yeah. Yeah, they would would go over the dark side a little bit, but in all factuality, it was just Wally. Still, but if you look at it just from a, a standpoint, how far the, the group goes without the Flash, here's how far they went having never had him to begin with. Well, they had him. Luthor just killed him. <laughs> right, but in the Flashpoint universe, they never had him. And look how far th- things went. Yeah. So from there, we start getting into, you know, the the team's put together. It's time to go down and let's get some shit taken care of in battle. Wonder Woman starts everything off, of course, um, like uh, every person who was raised on an island does and just throws rocks. So Wonder Woman throws a rock and she's a menacing anti-hero, I guess. But Killer Croc does it and it's apparently useless. Come on. Now, this is a pretty bloody battle all around. You know, there are losses on both sides. Uh, The first big one, of course, being when uh, Diana uses the lasso of truth to force Shazam to say his word. Absolutely, which was uh, actually different from the comics. The, the team uh, of secret go for it. The team, the Secret Seven, had a member, uh, the Enchantress, who it turns out she was working as a double agent and ended up uh, forcing Billy to say the word so he could be done away with. And from there, you know, in true vicious fashion. She proceeds to slaughter the children. Yeah. Like not a single not a single one left alive. I mean, her battlefield mentality is on par because she's like, well, what if it only actually takes like a select number of them or even one of them just to access a portion of that power? You know, she's not taking any risks from that, which is really smart, but still downright like brutality there. And then moving on during the battle, uh, the next little Easter egg I thought was nice was when she cut off Aquaman's hand. (laughs) I always liked Captain Hook Aquaman. 
So I thought that was a nice little nod to that during the fight scene. Absolutely. But of course, during this giant fight scene, you do have Barry being confronted by Eobard, uh, letting Barry know that Thon's not the one that fucked up this time. No, I mean, Thon could have just looked on and was like, everything's good. They got like four minutes. I'm out. Peace. And lived and not have anything wrong with him after that. But no, he had to go somewhere, somehow managed to get a cup of coffee and run it all the way over to where everybody else is fighting and then start rubbing it in Barry's face. Well, you got to think, if he had let things play out, he wouldn't have existed down the line because the Earth would have been destroyed. He's made it, he's made it clear as well. He doesn't really care if he exists so long as uh, the Flash suffers and is destroyed. I don't know why he... Very... Yeah, it's messed up. So from there, he does let Barry know that he is the fuck up in this situation. He is the one who is the ball licker. Yeah, he does lick the ball. And, you know, lets him know you can still fix this. You could, but I'm not going to let you because I'm going to siphon off just enough of the speed force that you can't time travel. And all I have to do is be alive, you know, just really bragging that out there. Because clearly nobody on that battlefield has killed anybody so far. So I think he's good. And then boom, next thing you know, there's a hole in his head. Absolutely. Um, Batman takes uh, an iconic shot at Zoom by firing a bullet right through his skull from the back, right out the front, clears David of a hole. It's weird. Uh, in the in the uh, comics, um, it doesn't really go down uh, exactly like that. I mean, uh, Thomas does end up getting the drop on Zoom, but he doesn't do away with the gun. He does it with uh, a sword, um, of all things, just right through Zoom, uh, right through Zoom's chest. See, I actually like the gun better because you have that whole shot of Joe Chill's gun in the case when Barry comes down to the Batcave. You have that opening shot of him firing off the two guns. So you really made it clear that this is a Batman who likes his guns. So to use that instead of the sword, I thought was a nice touch. Absolutely. After breaking the glass, he takes a shot of his grape soda because that's clearly what's in the flask. And he grabs the iconic gun to take along with him. And that's what does Zoom Away, you know, helping to undo all the madness and put everything back uh, as it should be and giving Bruce's life back doing the same thing as Thomas. Now, from here, you start to see the world ending as Aquaman has pushed the button on his belt to activate his Captain Atom Bomb. Absolutely. And uh, failing to get him out of um, just uh, the apparatus that he's hooked into, uh, the device starts setting itself off. It goes unstable, and uh, the world just starts, you know, everything goes like a white hot blank, and Barry has to run that. And uh, it was uh, really close as to whether or not he could access the speed force in time to do it. And, well, of course, heroes do as heroes do, and he manages to break through that time stream. And of course, as he's running through, he does see uh, his past self manage to, uh, to catch up to him and tackles him out of the speed force, 
which begs me to question why isn't there two berries? There probably there probably is, but um, one just kind of fell out of the pocket. And, and do they answer each other like yes, other berry? Yes, there is. That would be amazing. Like, <laughs> everything about that, I would buy everything about that. I would never stop quoting that. Like, it would just be the most magical fucking thing in the world. Dude, I wrote down that just for that reference. Oh my god. Um, Barry is a phenomenal character in the show, Archer. I don't know if any of y'all watched it, but it's uh, <laughs> really hilarious. It's a uh, very um, vigilante style, vigilante humor base, and uh, it's just a fun show to watch, especially for Barry and other Barry. We're on our like upteenth rewatch on it on Netflix. Fantastic. So from there, we do see this new universe where Flash has got these little fancy lightning bolts, and he's telling Batman about what happened. Uh, from what I've read, this takes place a few. Mo- uh, it's between a couple of movies down the line in what will become our new universe. Absolutely. So we'll eventually catch up to when this happens. Yeah, it will be a, it will be a good story to be told. Like, uh, well, for one, why did Barry want to draw lines on his suit? Make some- for the same reason people paint stripes on their cars to go faster. I was just thinking that exact same thing. Fantastic. <laughs> so he gives Bruce the iconic letter from his father, and we see one of the few moments of emotions that we've ever seen from Bruce Wayne as a teardrop rolls down his cheek and onto a letter from his dad. Letting Barry know that he is one hell of a messenger uh, crossing time and space to be able to get that letter. Uh, yeah, just in general, uh, as a person, that is a really cool moment. So he manages to tell Bruce after changing everything and changing everything back. So I guess changing everything back was the start of the New 52 universe. And so Flash and Barry had already been well acquainted with each other, I guess. That's right. That's why I'm saying this will be a few months down the line. Uh, it'll probably take place somewhere around Justice League Dark, I think I read, is when this scene takes place. Oh. So from there, of course, you know, we have that iconic line, Barry goes running into the night and credits, but oh no, sir, we are brought back to the beginning before... Bruce and Barry have met for our post credit scenes as we see some boom tubes opening up above Earth and parademons start flying through. Beautiful. Just beautiful. Because that's clearly the first thing you need is parademons. And that, of course, will bring us into next week's film, and that'll be Justice League War. We get to see the Justice League meet for the first time again and fight off possibly one of their greatest, if not most powerful enemies in Darkseid. All that and more next week. Excellent, sir. So when it comes to DC news, is there anything else on your mind that we should talk about this week? Um, Did you want to talk about the Ruby Rose Batwoman thing? 
Well, I haven't heard much about it. I haven't read much into it. I assume that, you know, the show's still going to go forward anyway. So as long as it progresses, at least like Gotham did, then uh, I'm totally down. Either way they want to go. Yeah, it is a shame that they have to recast the main actress for the show. She wasn't horrible at it, uh, but I've never been Ruby Rose's biggest fan as an actress. Uh, I thought she came off as a little wooden and stilted in a lot of the scenes. Uh, The show is still better than Supergirl. I'll give it that much. I am going to give that show credit in one aspect, and that's John Cryer's uh, Lex Luthor. Yeah, that that is the only thing that's got going for it right now for me. Uh, They've especially lost me now that they've had Martian Manhunter and Miss Martian making out. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that that doesn't sit right. I I don't care how you want to rewrite your canons. That does not sit right for me. The people of Earth normally just say hello and things progress from there, but no, they just right into it. Let's fucking skip the barbecue and just jump right into the tongue. So from there, sir, is there anything else DC Comics related that you want to talk about tonight? Well, primarily regarding um, the movie and even the comic adaptation, any characters that, you know, we feel that they should have focused a little more on considering their importance or, um, you know, just overall pop culture uh, popularity. For me, it's, uh, again, like I was making mention of earlier, Booster Gold has to be one of those ones. He, I don't know why they haven't done anything about the greatest superhero you never heard of. Well, I guess they're sticking to it technically, but even still, Booster Gold is still one of the most popular uh, DC characters out there. Yeah, even in live action, we haven't really seen much of him. Uh, they, of course, had Booster Gold on Smallville, but the closest we've had to him, of course, is his grandfather, grandson, however you want to look at the timeline, uh, Rip Hunter from Legends of Tomorrow. Which is really good. It's a great obscure reference and tie, and even reference to Booster Gold himself. Um, so I'm appreciative of that much. Uh, and I, I'm enjoying the company of Constantine a little more on there. Yeah, I, I, I constantly say out of all of the DC television properties, Legends of Tomorrow is probably my favorite one because of how obscure they can get with their references and how much fun they can actually have with the characters. They do have a lot of fun by the look of it. Well, even in one of the most recent episodes, they went to Hudson University, which of course is the same university that people like Dick Grayson went to. Oh, well, isn't that a nice little uh, name drop there, eh? Oh, yeah. yeah, I I look at my Easter eggs after each episode. Never hurts to know these things, you know? If you happen to be a fan, it's just going to be that much more rewarding for you. Exactly. And, you know, as shows air on TV, we will talk about the different ones. Uh, There's a couple of episodes left of Legends of Tomorrow uh, left on the docket. All the other shows have pretty much wrapped up except for Stargirl, which is just starting and you haven't seen yet. But we will talk about the different shows uh, next week as well. Fantastic. I can't wait to bring those up at that time. Excellent. Well, in the meantime, sir, where can the people find you? 
you know, same bat time, same bat channel. You can find me on Twitter at mys1987. I'm also on Instagram posting funny-looking pictures of, I think it's my face, the thing with the, the, thing with the goatee on it and the sideboard is yes. Uh, you can find me at uh, one man mys on Instagram and uh, on YouTube. I go under a mys day for a duel. It's supposed to be wordplay on the word nice. At any rate, it's just a, you know, trading card game stuff that I do, primarily for Yu-Gi-Oh. Uh, I haven't done a hell of a lot of it, but I'm a hell of a proud of it. So, yeah. That's where you can find me at, Jay. Where can everyone find you? People can find me on Twitter, only on Twitter, not on Instagram, not on Facebook. It's K-L-O-Q-N-Y, the letter J. There's only place you're going to find me unless you've actually got my number. And until then, my friend, I will see you at the same pod time at the same pod channel.